Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. The gospel is about the good news. It's about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And of course, to understand the good news, you have to also understand the bad news, because the good news is about a solution to a problem that exists. Now, the bad news, of course, is that when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he ate from the wrong tree, he violated the law of God, but of course he did not believe God, and that led him to commit the actions that he did. But when he violated the law, he experienced the penalty that God declared, and that was that he would die. Now, the death that he experienced was a spiritual death. It was not a physical death. He did die physically later, but the real issue here and now is the fact that Adam died spiritually, which means that he died to God. He died to God, but he became very much alive to the world. Now, from that day on, everyone who was born into the world was born in the image of Adam, which means that they were born in a condition that Adam was in. They were born spiritually dead. Everyone who is born into this world is born spiritually dead. And you have to understand that because that describes the problem. So if that is the nature of the problem, then what's going to be the solution? Well, the solution will solve the problem of spiritual death. Now, in order to solve the problem of spiritual death, you've got to deal with sin. Because if you do not deal with sin and deal with it completely, then there will be some sin that can remain that will cause the life of God to depart from within an individual if they commit that sin, for the wages of sin is death. So that's why he had to deal with all sin and why he had to deal with it completely once and for all. And that's what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. He died for the sins of the world so that the entire world would be forgiven. The entire sin issue between man and God would come to an end. He did that so he can offer to humanity the free gift of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. And if you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, then you will be resurrected, because that is the life of God being returned to his creation, being returned to humanity. That is salvation. Salvation is being saved from the condition of being dead. So you have the bad news and you have the good news. The bad news is sin and death, and the good news is forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of life. Now again, what happened with Adam was that he was alive to God when God created him. Then he violated the commandment, and he died. Everyone who has been born into this world from Adam has been born in the image of Adam, which means that they have been born into this world spiritually dead. If they will embrace the gospel... They will experience the benefit of the forgiveness that they have already because they will be resurrected and they will become alive. So this is the issue. God created mankind alive and then mankind died. Then he provided the means by which they could go from being dead to being alive again. Now the creation that we are made into certainly is not like the original creation. We are a different creation. We are a new creation. 
something entirely different. And that, of course, I would say for another program. But in this program, what I would really like to emphasize is the idea of being dead, that Adam was dead to God, and we were once dead to God. Now, when we were alive, when we became alive, we also died to the world. When you are resurrected so that you are alive to your God, that means you have died to the world. As far as the world is concerned, you are dead. Now, I'm not referring to a physical death, of course, because if you are a believer and you are listening to this program, chances are you are still alive. You're very much alive. You're here in the world. You're actively involved in participating in the lives of all kinds of people, many of which are probably lost, probably spiritually dead, and they can hear you. They can talk to you. They can touch you. They can interact with you. So obviously there is some functionality taking place that describes the fact that you are alive, but not in a spiritual sense. In a spiritual sense, you are dead to the world because you are now alive to God. And I don't think that people think about this a whole lot and understand the implications of this. The Apostle Paul refers to the state that you are in in order to show you that you have been set free from the law. Now, the law can be any law. It doesn't have to be the law of Moses, which is what I believe he was referring to. It can be any law. It can be any religious law. There are many religious laws that people have embraced or that people have come up with in order to put an individual into a form of bondage in order to try to get their flesh under control to try to get them to stop sinning. I can appreciate the intent. I can appreciate what a person is trying to accomplish by doing such a thing. Of course, those things don't work out, but I understand the intent behind it and why people are motivated to do things like that, to try to find some way to control themselves and embrace some system of law so that they might be able to manage their flesh. But, of course, it never works because we were not created to live that way. We were not created to function that way. You were not created to live according to the knowledge of good and evil, just by knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong, doing what is right, not doing what is wrong. We weren't created to live that way. We were created to be led by our God personally and individually. You were created in such a way that you cannot function correctly. You cannot function in the way that God created you unless you are led by him, unless he leads you, he guides you. Not his law, but him personally. Those are two completely different things. To be led by him does not mean he's going to lead you into sin. Of course he's not going to do that. But what he is going to do is he is going to give you direction. He is going to give you insights and understanding. He is going to give you wisdom. He will give you inspiration. And he will meet the deepest needs of your heart. He will love you in a way that you truly need. He will accept you in a way that you truly need. And these qualities that he has for you as an individual, you as an individual and him as an individual, who is relating to you in this way of perfection, that will transform you and that will change you. And that will be experienced when you are confronted with the temptations of life. Now, in this program, what I would really like to do is expand on this issue of you being dead to the world. Now, in Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks of this, but he speaks about this in the context of jurisdiction. Now, what does it mean to have jurisdiction? Well, that means that someone has authority over you in such a way that they can punish you. They can impose punishment on you if you fail to live in obedience to the laws. 
Let me give you an example. Consider what would happen if you were operating an automobile. If you're operating an automobile, especially in a public area, there are going to be rules, there are going to be laws that you are going to have to observe in order to ensure that you operate your vehicle in a safe manner so that you don't cause any problems, so you don't hurt anybody. It's very important to follow these laws because these laws have been put in place in order to ensure that people can be safe, not just yourself, but everyone else around you, to help reduce the risk of somebody being injured. Now, in order to have these laws, somebody has to enforce these laws. If there is no enforcement, if nobody's enforcing these laws, then you don't really have a law. I mean, the law doesn't mean anything. It means absolutely nothing outside of its enforcement. So we have officials, we have officials, we have officers, we have people who are responsible to ensure that people observe these laws. And the way that they ensure that people observe these laws is by giving them fines or they arrest them and put them in a cage for a while. There are many things that they can do in order to ensure that people will obey the laws. If they do not, then they will be punished. And if the punishment is severe enough, then people will not violate the laws because it is worth it to them not to violate those laws because they want to avoid the severity of the punishments. And sometimes you need to increase the punishments a little bit. If people are violating the law a little bit more often than you would like, then just increase the punishment, increase the penalty, and make it even more severe. And eventually it will be severe enough that there will be a deterrent associated with that. But what I would like you to understand is that without the enforcement capacity, without the capacity or the ability to enforce the law, there really is no law. There's nothing there. Now, what I want you to understand from this example is that these officers will have jurisdiction over you, which means that they have the ability to give you a fine or arrest you or whatever. They have jurisdiction. They have the ability to enforce the law in your life. But what happens if you violate one of these laws and then somebody from perhaps another country on the other side of the planet decides to tell you that you owe them some money because you broke the law? Well, that's probably not going to mean a whole lot to you if they don't have any jurisdiction over you in that context. If these officials are in another country and they have no authority in yours and they try to impose some penalty on you because of something you did in somebody else's jurisdiction, well, they don't have any jurisdiction, and so you can completely disregard their claim on your life. There's no reason for you to do whatever they claim that you need to do. So jurisdiction is a very important question that has to be asked and it has to be answered in the context of law. Now, if you are alive and you are living in a certain jurisdiction, then certainly the officials there have jurisdiction over you. But if you don't live in that jurisdiction, then these officials don't have any jurisdiction over you. Now, in the context of the world as a whole, if you are alive to the world in a spiritual sense, then there is a spiritual jurisdiction over you. But if you are not in the world, or if you have died to the world, then there is no spiritual jurisdiction over you by those authorities. Not anymore. In the context of the law that God gave, God is the one who gave the law, and of course the Levitical priesthood was established in order to enforce the law, to be the officials, to have the authority to punish people if it was necessary in order to ensure that the laws were observed. 
in a spiritual sense, God could personally intervene in a divine way in people's lives because they violate his law. He has done that on a number of occasions. But in your life, in your experience, you have died to the world and the things of it because God has made you alive to him and you are now a part of his kingdom, a part of his jurisdiction in the kingdom of heaven. In the context of this jurisdiction, Jesus died for all of your sins. Your sins are not held against you anymore. So you have entered into a new kingdom and a new jurisdiction, and the only reason why you are in that jurisdiction is because your sins are no longer held against you anymore. That's the only reason why you are able to be there. Now, of course, everyone has been forgiven, but not everyone has been saved. It's only when you are resurrected that you are actually saved, only then do you enter into the new jurisdiction. But I want you to understand that he gave the law for those people who are lost. He gave it to those people who are in the world in order to lead them to the point of despair, to lead them to the point of recognizing that they have a need for grace and mercy. After that has been discovered and acknowledged and a person repents from their unbelief and believes the gospel, then they are saved, then the law has done its work. It no longer has a place in your life. And the way that the Lord has worked this out is to say that once you are resurrected, you are dead to the world and you are dead to the law that he gave to the world. Now, of course, he just gave it to the children of Israel. He didn't give it to the Gentiles. But if the Gentiles want to be evaluated by either that law or any other religious law that they have come up with, we can use those. It doesn't matter. The point is, though, is that going from death to life means that you have gone from being alive to the world to being dead in the world. And so if you are dead, then there is no jurisdiction over you at all from any law whatsoever when it comes to your behavior in the world, when it comes to your actions in the world. Now, I can understand the need for physical laws in order to deal with the issues of life, but in a spiritual sense, the living God is not going to invoke any more punishments for violations to his law because he has already taken all the punishment through the Lord Jesus on the cross. The issue has come to an end, and when you have gone from one life to the other, you have left the jurisdiction, left the jurisdiction to the extent that the law has no place in your life at all. And if anyone wants to pass judgment on you on the basis of your obedience or on the basis of your repentance, all you have to say is that you're dead to that. You are totally dead to that, or that is totally dead to you, that there is nothing there. There is no place in your life for those things that are dead, and there is no place for you in those people's lives who believe that that's how we live. There's no place for you in their lives because you are dead to them. You are dead to the world, and you are dead to religion. Now, in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brethren? And, of course, by saying that, he's saying, of course they don't know. They don't know. That's why he says it this way, in order to try to be polite. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband, 
So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. Otherwise, there's no way that you will ever bear fruit to God. But I'll get to that in just a minute. Please recognize that here he gives the example of jurisdiction. Now, if you were to physically die, if you died physically, of course there is no law here that would have any jurisdiction over you because you were dead. But in a spiritual sense, in a religious sense, in a sense of are we right with our God or is our God holding our sins against us, in that sense, we are also dead. We are dead now because of the spiritual resurrection that we have experienced. Because of that spiritual resurrection, we are dead to the world. We're alive to God, and that's something that has to be emphasized. But do not neglect the fact that you are also dead spiritually to the world. You were dead spiritually, in a sense, to the world when you became alive in a spiritual sense to your God. Now, he uses the example of marriage because, of course, we are the bride of Christ. We are, in effect, married to Christ. That is one way to describe the relationship that we have with our God, that we are now able to be joined to him because there has been a death. That is why this is possible. This is possible because we have died to the law. The law no longer has any jurisdiction over us at all in any way whatsoever. Again, in verse 2, For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. Well, in this case, you can think of yourself as the one who died. So you have been released from the law. You have been released from the law so that you can be joined to the living God. You can be joined to him. In verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, I want you to recognize that last phrase in verse 4. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 4. I want you to recognize this and understand this, that we might bear fruit to God. The reason why he says that is because before this, you were not able to bear fruit to God. Now, you might be able, so that you might. doesn't say that you will automatically. It just says that you might. That means also that there is no possible way that you could have before you were saved, before you were reconciled to him, before you were resurrected, before you let go of the law. You must let go of the law first in order to walk in the newness of life so that you might bear fruit to God. Otherwise, there is no possible way to bear fruit to God. No possible way whatsoever. Now, I know this might sound a little troubling to some of you who are listening to this, and the reason why is because there is this huge amount of people, this massive amount of people in the religious world, in the Christian world, who really believe 
that bearing fruit to God has something to do with their connection to the law. It has something to do with that. And of course, different groups approach this differently. But my point is, is to say that there is a belief and this belief is the predominant belief. The majority of people in Christianity today truly believe this, that there is some connection to the law when we talk about fruit to God. And of course, people evaluate or measure this in different ways. Some people will say, well, if you are participating in things that are related to the festivals that were described in the law, then you are bearing fruit to God. Or if you observe some of the laws, if you keep the Ten Commandments, then you are bearing some fruit to God. If you do some good works to show that you love your neighbor as yourself, then you are bearing some fruit to God. These are the kinds of things that people really believe. This is their life. This is their faith, their religion. Their entire existence is based on their repentance from their sins and their obedience to the commandments. And there is a belief that when you repent from your sins or you obey the commandments, then you are bearing fruit to God. And what I see here in verse 4 is that there is no possible way that you will ever bear fruit to God when your life has anything to do with any law of any kind, from anywhere, from anybody, for any reason. If there's any relationship to any law or principles or requirements or suggestions or anything like that, then it is totally impossible to bear fruit to God, not only through those things, but also because of your preoccupation with those things and also because you are not going to be able to rest in God's acceptance for you and his love for you because you're not ever going to be able to truly embrace him as an individual, him as a person in your life, because you're always going to assume that he holds something against you, and so he's never going to be able to be close to you, and you're never going to be able to really be close to him. And so it is totally impossible. There is no might able. There is just impossible. There is no might able, which means it is totally, absolutely impossible. It will never happen. It can never happen. Now, what kind of fruit would he be referring to? Well, there are different places in the scriptures where Paul spoke of the fruit of the Spirit, and I personally believe that that's what he was referring to here. But there are other places where he has listed out a few of these fruits that he might be referring to. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He speaks of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These are fruits. Now, of course, these are fruits of the Spirit, not the fruits of us. But when he describes the fruit as being something that we bear, well, then that's easier to understand that the Holy Spirit can present these or make these or he's the one who can be the originator of these fruits and we can just simply have them hanging on us, that we may bear them, but it doesn't mean that we are the ones who have originated them or created them. There is no way for us to boast in any expression of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, or faithfulness. There's no way that we could lay any claim to any of those things and claim that those things have anything to do with ourselves. However, if you want to have the remote possibility of experiencing any of these, for real, and I mean for real in the context of the fruit of the Spirit, bearing fruit for God, if you're going to experience anything related to this whatsoever, the only way that you can begin to experience this is if you let go of the law. That is the only way. And until you do, 
None of these things can possibly be real in your life. You will never be able to bear the fruit of God. But if you will turn away from the law and turn to your God for who he is, then you might be able to. There is at least the possibility at that point. Now, I believe that the reason why he says might be able to is because many of us experience deception in our Christian life. What I mean by that is that sometimes we don't really believe God, and sometimes we don't really embrace the fact that he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. It's very easy for us to be deceived. So because it's very easy for us to be deceived, it's very easy for us to be distracted in such a way that we're not going to be able to be used by God to bear fruit for him. It's just simply not possible. So you have to take that into consideration when you understand the life and death issue and you understand that you are dead to the world, you are dead to the law, and you are alive to your God. Even though you may recognize that, it doesn't mean that your life really is a life of dependency on that truth. You might not really be responding to that truth. You might not really be living as though you really believe it. You might be able to pass a test if somebody gave you a bunch of questions, in other words. You might be able to give all the right answers. But the way that you live is certainly not a reflection of those answers. It's certainly not a reflection of those truths that you claim that you know. So that is why I believe he used the word might and not you will. You absolutely will, because you may not. It really depends, and this is something that you will have to pray about on your own, between you and your God, to ask him if he can give you any insights concerning what do you really believe? Do you really believe you are dead to the world? Do you really believe that you are dead to the law? Do you really believe that you are alive to him? Do you really believe it? Or do you believe that you might have eternal life when you physically die, but between now and then you've got to figure out some way to live in obedience to the law? Is that is that what you believe? There are a lot of people who do believe that, and I believe that they might very well be saved, but they are never going to be able to bear fruit for God because they are bound by the deceptions that most people hold to. And these deceptions are barriers that need to be taken away for you to truly be joined and enjoy the relationship that your God has called you to as his bride. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you,